The Northern Ireland Sport and Human Rights Forum brings you a new Northern Ireland Sports and Human Rights podcast. Sport and Human Rights is a hot topic. In this series, Michael Boyd and Jason McKeown shall be interviewing members of the Northern Ireland Sports and Human Rights Forum who have signed up to the Declaration of Sport and Human Rights. Okay, thanks for joining us today here at the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission in Belfast. Uh, Please introduce yourself and your job title. Okay, uh, morning guys. My name is Chris Webster. I'm Head of Rugby Development for Ulster Rugby and my role involves overseeing the majority of aspects of club and school rugby in the province of Ulster. Great, thanks Chris. Um, It's brilliant to have you here today. You're one of the sort of founding members of our Sports and Human Rights Forum, so thank you for your time today. Um, Just to start off, we're doing a few wee icebreakers just to get to know you better. Um, So what is your earliest memory of sport? Uh, okay, I suppose there's a, there's a couple for me. Um, from a watching sport perspective, uh, my earliest memory would be of the Northern Ireland football team playing at uh, the World Cup in Spain 82, so that shows you my age. Um, and in particular, I remember my mum getting me a football kit, which was sort of something <clears throat> along the lines of the Northern Ireland kit at the time, and I think I wore it non-stop for, for a couple of weeks. Um, I also remember playing on the living room floor uh, just at my parents' feet uh, whenever the Five Nations rugby was on and I think that's where I got my fascination for the game from. Uh, and then from a playing point of view, just loads of memories of primary school and playing with my friends and doing lots of different sports. Um, I wasn't particularly good at any of them, uh, but I just knew that I liked being involved with sport and I think that's where my fascination grew from. Just be- before we move on to Jason's question, I remember... Um my first sort of memory of sport is uh, the 86 World Cup. Mm-hmm. And I just assumed that Northern Ireland went to every yeah. World Cup, you know, because I'd, I'd sort of heard that they'd been there in 82 and all that sort of stuff. And I remember as a kid thinking, I'll probably play in five World Cups. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it just shows you uh, yeah. How, how crazy you can be when you're a kid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, can you just tell us a wee bit about what, what the sport mean to you? Okay, so I suppose first up, um, sport's been a really important aspect of my life and I suppose as I've grown older, um, I've started to really appreciate benefits more and more. Um, I think there's lots of different meanings and contexts for me. So um, on one level, sport has given me my <clears throat> my career. I've worked for Ulster Rugby for over 17 years now uh, and that's been really special. Uh, on, another oppor- on another level, it's given me the opportunity to meet lots of new people and friends that ordinarily I w- wouldn't have done. Um, and I suppose as well, it's just given me that opportunity to travel uh, and experience different cultures. So through sport, I've been to New Zealand, South Africa, Canada, the States, um, Spain, France. So uh, I think without that, I just wouldn't have had those experiences. So means a lot in m- many different ways. What, what teams do you support? So obviously I'm a big Ulster and Irish rugby fan and, and love seeing all the different teams, uh, whether it's senior age, grade level playing. Um, I know you'll appreciate this, Michael, but I've been a lifelong Liverpool fan and um, currently enjoying the Jurgen Klopp era. Uh, it's great to see trophies coming back to the club uh, and being able to gloat over my Man United friends. Uh, and then at a community level, and I suppose more importantly for me, I support all of the teams that my kids are involved with. So if anyone's listening, just a big shout out to North Down Cricket Club, Orange Rugby Club, uh, Phoenix Netball Club, North Down Hockey and Ridgeway Rovers. Um, those clubs through their volunteers put a tremendous amount of effort into the kids um, and I'm really appreciative of all the work that they do so a big thank you to all the volunteers. 
And did you play a sport yourself or do you still play? Uh, I, I mostly played rugby up until about the age of 30, uh, and uh, which is only like two years ago. And um, uh, now my sporting activity is limited to riding my bike uh, just around the, the lanes of County Down and going to watch my kids play, play their various sports as well. So that's my involvement these days. What's your best sporting memory when you look back? Whenever I sort of thought about this, there's three things that stand out for me and they're all related to having been at the event. So first one was Ulster winning the European Cup in 99, being down in Dublin and just the, the buzz around that was just, just phenomenal. Uh, and as a rugby fan and an Ulster supporter, it was, it was great to be there. Um, I suppose more recently, uh, being on the 18th hole at Royal Port Rush when Shane Laurie won the Open, um, I just had a real sense of Northern Ireland showcasing itself, real sense of pride about pulling off a world-class event. Um, and I think it was just, just surreal being there and the buzz and vibe around it. And then um, the other thing for me was being in Paris in 2016 when Northern Ireland played Germany in the Euros. And I, I've never been to a sporting occasion like it. And it just made me, I just wished I'd been there for the other games in the tournament. Um, so again, I think it's, it's just being there when something really monumental is happening, just, just lives with you and the energy you get from the crowd and everyone else. So those are probably the three standouts for me. Uh, I was at that game with my brothers and uh -huh. uh, what I loved about it was uh, even after the game for yeah. like an hour we were just standing there singing and stuff it, yeah that was amazing like yeah good good choice yeah we we were flying back that evening and we were just waiting and waiting as long as we could before we could jump on a taxi so you just didn't feel like you wanted to leave but it was great 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 day so so what makes you feel inspired I think for me, it's whenever you see somebody who's overcome something, some obstacle or challenge in their life to have achieved something, um, and you know, and they've been really stuck at it and worked hard, and they've come away with a win, whatever that might be, either in a sporting context or another context. Um, and the thing that always fascinates me is finding out about people's backstory. So, you know, yeah, you see the person on the on the podium with a gold medal around their neck, but it's actually finding out what they've been through to get there, I, I think is great because it tells you lots of good stories and stuff you can take away from it. So, yeah, that's where I get most of my inspiration from. Okay, this next question is a little bit random, but okay. um, if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I find this a really difficult one, guys. So, um, uh, so yeah, apologies. It probably tortured me more than any other question that that, that we probably could have going to ask. So, um, randomly, the first one is Spike Mulligan, uh, who was a comedian and author. And over the last few months, I've been listening to his autobiographies, and he talks about his journey through through the Second World War and all the trials and tribulations that he had to face, and just has lots of wit about it and really funny and engaging. So, definitely have him. Um, second one relates back to my love of Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp and definitely bring him in uh, just to find out a little bit more about what's happening and, and again just related to his energy and passion and get that insight into, into the club and what he does. Uh, and the third one's a really personal one, uh, it would be my dad who passed away 10 years ago uh, and I just love the chance to sit down and chat with him and everything that's gone through over the last 10 years. Uh, and also added added bonuses that he was a big Spike Milligan fan, so he would enjoy that uh, and just enjoy uh, fine food and a glass of wine. So yeah, those would be my be my three guests. I think they're they're brilliant choices, by the way. Really good. Cheers, uh, Michael. It's funny I've known you for a long time, but just those wee questions, you just get you know to know a bit more and a bit yeah. deeper, and it's great. Uh, so thank you for that. We're moving in now to the sort of the, the main questions. When did you get involved in the Northern Ireland Sport and Human Rights Forum? 
okay, so um, I had to dig back into my into my memory and and troll through some emails and get dates and what have you. So. Um, uh, we were one of the initial organisations to get involved and I remember going with uh, Michael and Dermot from Ulster GAA uh, actually along to meet David Russell uh, and just have a chat with David about what it would look like and how things would get up and running um, and I think that was sort of in around 2019 uh, when we when we went over and, and met in Belfast um, so yeah so we've, we've been there from the start as an organisation. Why did your organisation sign up to the Declaration of Sport and Human Rights? Okay, so I think for me there's a couple of reasons. Um, the first one is that it's it's the right thing to do, um, and I suppose whenever we looked at the the charter, um, there were a number of points that we felt that as an organisation we were already aligned to, and that we were doing or had had planned to do. So um, I suppose in a way it was a it was a good fit with the with the direction of travel that that we wanted to go along. Um, and I suppose one of the things that I felt was going to be of benefit to us, and I suppose what David really sold it to us on, um, was that the forum created, created an opportunity for us to come together to discuss specific issues which we were all facing, um, and that opportunity for sports to learn from each other, and I suppose be honest with each other as well, because it's, it, it's such a big area, not something that a lot of us had much experience in. So it was a great chance to, okay, well, look, we're looking at this. How have you gone about it? What are some of the things that you've learned? Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that was th that was probably one of the, the big issues for us as well, or big big selling points was, look, this is good for us to be involved in. Um, and I suppose as well, Michael, you and I have chatted about this before, that um, there's a misconception around human rights and what people understand it to mean. Um, and I think that still remains a challenge. And um, so I think for me, the, the, the forum creates that opportunity to educate ourselves and then help educate other people as well. So that's, that's probably the main reasons that we've been involved and got involved with. Sport and human rights covers many areas such as safeguarding girls and women in sport, gender identity, disability rights, education, employability, tackling racism, online abuse and inclusion projects. Um, so please tell us about some of the work your organisation's been, been doing to promote positive human rights across Northern Ireland. For me, there are a number of these areas which are which suppose, ongoing areas of focus for us uh, as an organisation. Um, and maybe talk about a, a journey that we've been on through disability um, uh, and disability w within a rugby context. So I'm um, going to take you back to September 2006 and we launched our first standalone club um, for players with a learning disability and that was New Forge Tigers in Belfast um, and um, the conversations around that actually started about a year before uh, when two gentlemen by the name of Tim Craig and Sam McBurney uh, knocked on my door at Kingspan Stadium and said Chris we want to have a word with you so if you ever met Sam and Tim uh, whenever they say they want to have a word with you you, you sit down and listen um, but basically they came with the idea of looking to set up a tag rugby club for, for at that time, children with learning difficulties. Um, and um, they asked if we could support them and help them in, that, in, in doing that. And I suppose it was an area that we had no experience of and no one in Ireland had any experience of it. And um, we're really unsure as to how we were going about doing it. But to be fair to the two guys, they said, look, we've gone away, we've looked at this, what happens in, in England and Wales, and we've got some ideas as to how we would do it. Plus, they also had a background in working with the Special Olympics, um, so brought a lot of their learning and experience from that to, to, to establishing it. 
So I said, okay, let's have a go and see how this how this gets on. Um, and I suppose from those initial conversations, I'm delighted to say that the rugby club is still going strong. Um, it's at the forefront of developing rugby for people with a disability across the island of Ireland. The, the two guys have travelled uh, the breadth and length and breadth of the country, offering support and advice and guidance about how they went about establishing it. Um, and we're now at a stage in Ulster where we have 11 clubs uh, that have a mixture of um, tag rugby and uh, more recently mixed ability rugby, which is where um, players with uh, disability play alongside able-bodied players in full contact rugby. And the guys brought that idea to me. I have to say I did break into a cold sweat uh, just about how we were doing it. But again, very reassuring, took us through the process. Uh, and actually we had, we had two clubs. Um, Malone Tornadoes and the Banbridge Barbarians who recently played at the Mixed Ability World Cup down in Cork <clears throat> and you know to see that come to fruition from a very initial idea is, is just brilliant. Um, pleased to say that as we're sitting here today uh, we're just about to start a disability rugby officer through funding from the Rank Foundation uh, and part of her role will be to I suppose look at our ambitious plans to grow more clubs um, and support the clubs that we have and um, one of the things now that we've, we've also had running for the last few years has been a disability advisory rugby group um, representatives from the clubs and other organisations who come in help organise and structure the season for us and then also look at okay what do we need to do to, to, to grow the game and grow the sport um, and hopefully through upcoming changes that we're going to make to our constitution that group will be formally recognised within our governance structures as well so that's been a that's been a big a big evolution for us, um, but it has taken a number of years to, to get to that point. The mixed ability rugby sounds amazing, and do you have to adjust the rules any to play that, or is it just 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 go for it? Uh, yeah, the, the 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 rules are are adjusted. Um, I think the big thing that that happens is that all the players that are involved understand why they're there, um, and you know they're there to support and help those players that, that want to play that have a disability um, but they've also got to be mindful of maybe the different needs that those players have so there are adaptations to what we're trying to do and ultimately the the objective is to give people a good fun safe experience um, uh, now that's not to say that some of the other players that get involved as soon as they get onto the pitch the old competitive juices start to flow um, and I think that particularly was the case when the teams went down to the to the World Cup um, but again, just that sense of fun, um, keeping people included, uh, has been has been really important, and I think just creates that opportunity for us to develop things as we go forward as well. Chris, um, before we move on to the next question as well, can you tell us a bit about some of the multi-sport projects you are involved in? Yeah, so um, we we've had a long-standing relationship with the IFA and Ulster GAA uh, in particular, and um, I suppose what we what we try to do there is through the, the power of sport, not to sound too corny, uh, it's just to show how the three governing bodies work together and the staff work together. Um, and I suppose it's been an opportunity to engage with a number of, of communities and organisations that ordinarily we probably as an individual sport wouldn't have had the chance to do. Um, and I think it's reflective of our you know broader society within Northern Ireland and also the fact that a number of kids will just move from sport to sport to sport. And I think if we can show a leadership point of view to say, look, it's okay for sports to come together. There's no competition, but well, there is some competition, but generally there isn't that much competition between us. 
we're really trying to grow levels of participation, create links back to clubs. And I think that's where we as, as sporting organisations can play a real leadership role um, within the community as well. Chris, can you tell us about uh, some of the work you're doing with young people to give them a voice in rugby? Yeah, so one of the interesting things, Michael, we've been involved with has been the setup of a young person's advisory group, uh, which we call YPAG. Um, so uh, that's made up of representatives aged 16 to 22. And uh, pre-COVID, we went out and asked for young people to put themselves forward if they wanted to get involved. Uh, they could have any level of experience, but just had to be involved in rugby in some shape or fashion. So um, we use that group as a way of running ideas and thoughts, um, things that we're trying to do, pass them to get their input on, uh, and then that goes into some of our planning and some of our considerations around structures and areas of focus that we maybe want to, to, to move into. So they've been great. They've been really invigorated. They've been really refreshing. Um, and they've come to us with some ideas as to things that they would like to influence. And interestingly, one of the topics that we're going to be focusing in on moving into the new season um, is just looking at the whole issue of mental health within young people. Um, and the group re are really keen to be advocates for us and help to signpost the resources that are, that are out there. Um, and I think the big challenge that we have as a governing body is how do we start to integrate some of that thinking uh, and some of the people from the Young Persons Advisory Group into some of our more established committees um, just to bring a different viewpoint. Because I suppose ultimately for those guys, they're the ones that are playing the game and it should be representative of what, of what they want and their experiences as well. Um, and I suppose the other thing to say is not all the feedback that they come back with is challenging. Some of it's really positive and reinforces the good work that we're doing. Um, so there's definitely real value in having it and uh, yeah, just be interested to see where it, where it goes forward in the next couple of years. That's great, Chris. It's brilliant to see also rugby doing that. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's interesting. So yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Okay, so um, the next question is, what challenges have you faced in, in Ulster rugby? Um, so I suppose for me, there's, there's probably probably two things which stand out um, and it's and we always need to remind ourselves about it is that the vast majority of our sport is delivered by volunteers um, and they get involved for a variety of reasons um, more often than, than not it's because their children are involved and they've been asked to do it because there's no one else or they have a real passion for the particular sport that, the, that they're involved with and I think the challenge for us as a governing body is that as we try to I'll use this word carefully, professionalise our volunteers or support them, that uh, we take on board and we understand the reasons why they're involved and, and not lose sight of that. <clears throat> and I think once we start to talk to them about things like human rights or involvement through the lens of human rights, then that people can get a little bit nervous about that because they don't really understand what it means. Um, and I think from our point of view, we have a duty to educate them first and foremost explain what it's important explain why it's important um, but also try not to overburden them and I, I think that's where language is really important as well and um, starting with why we're doing this and why it's important that we're doing whatever it might be whether it's um, going back to the example of our disability rugby or things that we do around safeguarding or w whatever that might be that there's always a clear rationale as to, as to why we're doing it um, I think the other thing for me as well uh, and this is something that I'm uh, really interested in and I suppose passionate about too is that um, people don't always value the importance of just letting kids play. Everything has to be about 
for a lot of people has to be about competition and that there's no value if there's no league or cup at the end of it. Um, and if I look at my own kids now who are 14 and 11, the big thing that they love about their sport is the chance to play with their friends and have fun. And as soon as that starts to go, then um, that's the reason that they'll walk away from things or go, go and do something else. So, um, and I know that, that having competition um, is important as well, but it does at times have an impact in terms of how coaches approach things. Um, whether that's how they coach a game or how they develop a player or team selection. So um, I suppose one of the things that we have done coming out the back of COVID is try to create spaces throughout the year for, um, I think what we call them as let's play events, where we just bring kids down, whether in clubs or schools, just the opportunity to play the game. Um, do it in a fun environment. We explain to the parents and coaches what it's about. Um, and by and large, the feedback that we get is really positive, most importantly from the kids themselves, because they just enjoy that sense of, playing with their mates and having fun and not getting too worried about, about the outcome of it. Um, and uh, this year, as we move into our new season, uh, we've worked with uh, the likes of some of our age grade committees to look at how we integrate those into our season structure. So again, people can see there's there's value in doing that and be really interesting to see how it goes over the course of the course of the next year. I think that's so important that kids are just allowed to play and enjoy and, and be kids without yeah adults shouting at them yeah you know absolutely. what i mean it's it's such an important aspect of what sport's about so well done oh cheers with the with the rise in cost of living and more people sort of living in poverty um has this impacted on your development plans so i suppose there's a there's a couple of things for me um our season officially starts in a couple of weeks and i'm, I'm not sure we'll see the full impact of that for for another month or two just once people start to get back into the swing of it um, I, I can see issues around cost of travel for both individuals and teams, uh, cost for clubs in terms of energy bills. Um, we're a, a winter sport, we play under floodlights, we have heating and clubhouses, we run showers, um, and I think that could have a bearing on which teams have access to facilities because clubs will probably look to try and cut costs um, because they're planning ahead and just looking at the increased, the increased costs around heat light uh, and what have you. Um, and I suppose for me the fear is then that some of our smaller sections, whether that's at youth or many or women and girls, then potentially get squeezed out because the club just can't facilitate that or can't facilitate the cost. Um, I think one of the things that we're mindful of when we look at some of our development programmes um, is that we ask players to travel to central locations on a regular basis. Um, and for some players and parents that's a massive commitment. And as fuel costs go up, then we can see potentially um, people turning around and saying, look, I just can't commit to that. Um, and that has a bearing as well. So um, I think it's something that we're going to have to keep keep reviewing as the season goes on, um, but be mindful of and, and definitely think it will have an impact uh, at, at some stage. And that, that is a concern for us. Chris, in rugby, do kids have to play, pay like weekly dues and things like that? Uh, no, so most clubs, they'll pay a season membership. Um, and then that'll cover all of their, their costs. There may be one-off um, uh, subscriptions for some travel or going to certain matches and what have you, but clubs generally try to cover that in their ongoing running costs throughout the year. Okay, and I, I know in, in football, uh, when I was working in football, I was starting to hear about kids not turning up um, to their clubs because they couldn't afford you know, the £5 weekly dues and things like that. And that was... Yeah. And that was a couple of years ago so now with everything that's you know happened I can just imagine that 
being even worse for families and for kids. So it's it's good that you're starting to think about these sort of things. Yeah, and even just factoring in things like equipment or clothing or kits and things like that as well. You know, particularly at this time of the year where um, you know kids are getting ready to go back to school and there's already you know a pressure on that around school uniforms and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I do think it will will have an impact. Yeah. Can you explain? how you have grown your sport for women and girls? Okay, so um, I think it's important to say at the start that the women and girls game is our fastest growing part of our game. Um, but having said that, we started from a very low base. Uh, so at the minute, uh, women and girls players probably account for just over 10% of our playing population. Um, and we would have ambitious plans along with the IRFU to increase that over the next next few years. Um, I suppose there's a couple of key things around, around how we've done it. <clears throat> so it's been a specific strategic priority for both the RFU and ourselves and as a result we've, in, we've invested accordingly into that in terms of staff and, and programmes which I think is, is really important um, as opposed to just saying well, we're going to do this but then not have the, the means to do it. Um, we have a dedicated rugby development staff who focus in on the women and girls game so currently we have seven staff working in that area uh, and they would work on all aspects both on field and off field. Uh, with clubs and schools uh, and then also link in with the rest of our rugby development team in terms of providing support because that's part of their their role as well um, and the the big thing for me and I suppose for a lot of a lot of sports and I just see this through my own kids involvement is it's about providing the opportunity to play and get involved so if you don't create that opportunity then it's very hard for people to ever um, pick up a ball or whatever it might be and, and start so uh, the RFU over the last number of years have run an initiative called Give It A Try um, where they provide support and equipment to local clubs over the summer to get girls down um, and get involved for the first time, provide support to coaches as to how they structure the coaching sessions and then on the back of that have a big push through various um, marketing and promotion programmes as well. Interestingly, we've just done a bit of a review, or sort of the IRFU have done a review uh, around the women's game, and one of the pieces of feedback has been um, people complimenting Give It A Try around those targeting, uh, I suppose, girls, but they've asked where's the Give It A Try for adult women players as well, where's the opportunity? So I think that'll create something for us to, to, to work on and, and, and grow over the next couple of years. Um, and I suppose one of the other things that we've tried to do with the women's game is not follow the model that's set by the men's game um, and try to do something which is bespoke and meets the needs of the players um, and a little bit innovative. Um, that's still a work in progress, so we'll, we'll see how that gets on. Um, and I think then for me, some of the challenges that we're currently seeing would be around um, how we get more females involved in non-playing roles as well. So uh, coaches, referees and administrators and uh, it's how we move those players from being players once they finish playing into some of those other roles that is something that we've struggled with over the last the last few years um and i suppose the one one thing just to, to maybe mention when we're talking about the women and girls game uh and a, and a project which i know that eliza downey who's our women and girls development manager is very proud of is that uh, earlier this year we hosted the ireland versus scotland women's six nations match in belfast um, and we used that to launch our past players network. So we reached out to all of the previous players for Ulster Women, um, brought them into the stadium and um, hosted them for, for a pre-match function and took the opportunity then to talk about this is the work that's ongoing in the women and girls game, these are the opportunities and we'd love you to get back involved again. And we had a really positive response from those players 
um, and people who wanted to bring their various skill sets and experience back into the game. So we now have a catch-up with them uh, in the early part of the season, and I suppose that's when the real test comes, when we go, OK, guys, yeah, you liked what you heard. Uh, here's the opportunities. How are you going to come and, come and get involved with us as well? So um, I think the, the women and girls game generally is, is really exciting. Um, there's lots... There's lots that we still have to do, but um, I suppose when we take a chance to, to look at what we have done, we've achieved a lot over the last couple of years. Excellent. Uh, our next uh, sports forum will be looking at uh, girls and women in sport and yeah. how you grow participation and so, some of the issues as well. So hopefully hopefully um, that can help support you on your journey as well. Yeah, that would be great. And certainly get Eliza and, and some of the guys down to listen and share their experience and, and find out what others are doing too. So definitely. How important is partnership work? Simply, it's very important. <laughs> um, and look, we work with a number of partners across a variety of programmes. And, you know, we touched on earlier the relationship between ourselves and the IFA and Ulster GAA. Um, and I, I know whenever I speak to other people, they're really quite surprised by that, that the fact that um, three large government bodies who at times are people feel are in competition with each other for players and resources actually work together on a lot of stuff. Um, and I, I, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's really healthy. Um, I think there's lots of things that we can share and learn from each other and actually we can come together as a quite a strong united voice to, you know, highlight some of the issues that we're all facing and, and sports facing generally across the board as well, not just not just the three of us. Um, so outside of that we also work in partnership with the likes of Sport NI and the Northern Ireland Sports Forum. Uh, and again that's just about a you know, raising issues which are common to sport um, across Northern Ireland and just using those pe- those mechanisms for a way to get our voice heard and to engage with government and to influence um, policy going forward, which I think is really important. Um, and, you know, just highlight one issue at the minute that is very live, uh, is around facilities and, and funding for facilities. Um, and with us coming together through the likes of the Northern Ireland Sports Forum, we've been able to to raise that high on the political agenda and hopefully um, we'll start to see some some movement around that in the not too distant future because you know sports across the board are are crying out for that um, in terms of improving what they have improving accessibility improving facilities for more female participants coming in you know so all of those things are, are really important for what we're trying to do. Chris have you learned anything unexpected from being involved in this area and, and things like the multi-sport programs? Um, I suppose I shouldn't have I shouldn't have been surprised by it, um, but the fact is that all of the sports, regardless of what code you're playing, all face exactly the same issues, um, and uh, you know I I know whenever we speak to the likes of our our um, various stakeholders, they feel that a lot of the issues that we're seeing are just particular at Ulster rugby, but once you broaden your horizons and chat to other people, you see like a lot of the stuff's common. Um, we're all facing the same challenges, which in a way is reassuring. Uh, it's also worrying, but I think then it's looking at what are the solutions around that and what have other people tried and how can we best best share that experience. Um, and I think that's something of sports that we shouldn't be frightened about. You know, we should be very uh, open with each other and saying, look, these are the challenges that we have, guys. How can you help us? How can we help you? Because we're all at different stages of development. We've all got different things that we're that we're trying to do, but ultimately we're, we're trying to get more people being active, playing the game, creating those healthy lifestyles. So I think that's where, where we can come together and, and, and share those types of experience. Chris, this is a wee bit uh, left field, but with the squeeze on resources and things like that, do you think they'll ever get to the point where like 
in Europe, you see like multi-sport clubs. You know, do you think we'll ever get to the point where there's a club that has a rugby team, a football team, a GAA team, you know, boxing and athletics all in one space? Um, <clears throat> so you've you've read my mind a wee bit, Michael. Um, so let me just caveat that, that that this is a personal opinion. It's not an opinion of Ulster Rugby, um, but. If I had the opportunity to do something or to influence something, um, I I definitely feel that create more community-based clubs is the way forward, um, and have multiple sports based at one location. And there's an, there's a couple of things I think that would help with. Um, I think it would make sport more accessible because you'd be down and you'd say, oh, what's going on there? I'd love to try and give that a chance. Um, I think it would give people the opportunity to try different sports as well. Um, that would lead to greater community cohesion, break down a lot of barriers, create that identity around the different sports things. Um, and you know, going back to my previous point around development of facilities, I think you just get better bang for your, your buck around your investment then where you know, those multi-sport clubs are just being used all of the time. You then could get professional staff in to run them and maximise how those things all work. And I think that would be a, that would be a tremendous boost here in the Northern Ireland context. On so, on so many different levels. So I'm, I'm all with you on that one, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. So what has been the secret of your success? I'm not sure from a personal point of view uh, what well, success is there, but I suppose more, more broadly, um, I think for me, it's about having a clear idea of what you want to, what you want to achieve, what it is you're, you're trying to do. So that, that vision, then having a plan about how you're going to get there, um, but understand that the plan may not always go to plan. So having that flexibility around it and the ability to change things on, on the hoof um, and also an idea of what success is going to look like so that whenever you arrive at, at achieving that success, then, then you know you're there. Um, but I suppose the big thing for me, and it links back to maybe one of the earlier questions, is just about the importance of being resilient um, because nothing ever goes to plan. There will be hiccups along the way, you know, bounce and what have you. So I think you need to be prepared to, to, to stick at it and um, just accept that those bumps are, are part of the, the journey. Um, and then the final thing for me, and I use this little mantra with my team, which I'm sure they're sick of hearing, but every time we get together for, for team sessions, uh, I always talk about the importance of looking back down the mountain. And really what that refers to is it's part of a journey. Yes, you're looking forward to where you want to get to, but it's also important to look back at what you've achieved over the, the previous period of time because um, you'd actually be amazed at how much you've achieved and how far you've come. Um, and that just helps to motivate you and make the next part of the journey um, seem more more accessible. So that's a, a big thing for me is take time to look back down the mountain. What's something people seem to misunderstand about your sport? Um, I suppose there's lots of different things, Michael, but... Uh, I suppose one of the things that I always come across is this idea that, that rugby is really only for those players who are currently in a rugby playing grammar school. Uh, and if you don't go to one of those schools, then you'll not get the chance to play. And I think that would do a disservice to the fact that, you know, we've over 70 other schools at secondary level across the province who've got some form of re regular rugby programme, either for boys or girls. And coupled with that, we've also got a network of rugby clubs that provide many and youth rugby opportunities throughout the year. Um, and if somebody wants to get involved uh, at rugby at whatever level, um, I'd like to think that we can signpost them and point them in the right direction to, to pick up a ball for the first time. So, um, yes, it's great. We have got this network of, of schools that, that invest in rugby as one of their main sports, but we've also got this other network out there as well that provide opportunities too. And um, I think for me, there's never been a, 
better opportunity to get involved if it's something that you're really interested in doing. And finally, if you could remove all barriers and constraints, what project would you do or change would you make? So one of them relates back to Michael's point about those community facilities. I, I think, you know, having a focus around that would be a real game changer in a, in a Northern Ireland context um, for so many different levels. Uh, but the other thing for me, um, and again, this is my personal opinion, not the organisation's opinion, um, would be, uh, I, I think more support needs to be given to developing PE and physical education within our schools, um, both at a primary and secondary level. And, you know, nothing which is necessarily badged as a specific sport, but something which just reinforces the positive, the, the positives of having an active and lifestyle um, and just teaches things about things like good fundamental movement skills, importance of nutrition, importance of how they look after themselves and, you know, why being active is, is really important. Um, for me, I think that would have a long lasting impact in terms of people's lives and lifestyles. Um, and I think the sports would all benefit from it as well because we had more kids who could move properly, um, had a love for what they were doing, then it just creates that opportunity to go and find a sport which you really love and, you know, signposting that and giving kids the chance to try different things, whether, you know, it's a sport I'm involved with, whether it's uh, athletics, whether it's things like yoga, Pilates, you know, just, just more holistic approach to, to physical activity and lifestyle. I, I think if we could do that, then again, just have a real positive knock-on impact across across what we're doing within, within Northern Ireland. Great answer, Chris. Um, thanks, you'll be glad to know that's the end. Um, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate you sharing your story because um, you've got such a rich knowledge of the sport. It's fantastic. If people want to contact you to pick up the conversation or learn more, uh, what is the best way for them to reach you? Uh, probably the best way is to email me. Um, so my email address is chris.webster at ulsterrugby.com. I'm more than happy to have a chat with anyone and pick up on any of the ideas we've talked about today. Um, and just to say thank you to you guys for inviting me along.